Eastern Conference Finals and NBA Finals preview with AJ Masucci coming up next. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another edition of Jake's Takes. I am your host, Jake Masucci. And today, I got a special guest for you guys. I'm really excited to have my brother, AJ Masucci, on the podcast today. I'm really excited. We're going to go through the Boston-Miami series. We're going to talk about Boston's future. And then we'll get into the X's and O's and what you should expect from the Nuggets-Miami series. So sit back, relax, and I'm going to cue the music. All right, welcome back into the podcast. I am your host, Jake Masucci, and I'm excited to talk about the NBA Finals. We're finally here. We've been talking about it forever. My picks were drew, with Drew were completely wrong. It was horrible. It was so Shocker. bad. <laughs> and I'm happy today to be joined by my brother, AJ Masucci. We've been talking about getting on the podcast together for a long time, and I'm really excited to have you here, man. Hey, I'm just excited to be here. We've been talking about this forever. We uh, at first, my first episode, not to spoil it in the future, was going to be the NBA draft. Yes, uh, yes. A little preview, and then probably a little post draft information as well. But I'm just excited to be here, man. Yeah, no, I mean, I was excited to be able to do this, and we've been talking about the NBA finals for a long time, and. We just wanted to get it on the podcast, give everybody a little taste of the Masucci family and how they talk about sports all the time. I mean, this is kind of where the podcasting idea came into play, talking with you and Anthony about sports, and I'm excited to do this, man. It's like 90% of our conversations are sports-related, so pretty much it's right up our alley. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. So I'm excited for this. Before... We get to the NBA Finals. We had a great game last night. Unbelievable game between Miami and Boston. I mean, maybe not unbelievable game seven like what we wanted, but we saw a great series nonetheless, a almost 3-0 comeback, which would have been crazy. So why don't we start with Miami and Boston? Just looking at game six, game seven, I kind of did a rundown on episode 22, more of the earlier games. But talking about game six, game seven, I mean, crazy series, right? Absolutely crazy. It was a big bummer that Jason Tatum actually ended up getting hurt on the first play of the game. He played through it, just wasn't the same, and it was pretty obvious. Um, it also is kind of a bummer that it wasn't a classic Game 7. Yeah. You almost like wish that Derek White plate almost didn't happen because it was so <laughs> awesome. But it's going to be forgotten in history now with so many other great memories because uh, you kind of need to win the series for it to become iconic. Like if uh, the Heat in 2013 – yeah. If they wouldn't have won that game seven, that Ray Allen shot's just not the same. So, yeah, yeah no, I mean it's really true. Like, we've seen so many iconic shots like in the past. Like, I mean, looking at Derrick Rose game three, like nobody really remembers that shot because they didn't win the series. You know, uh, LeBron hits a shot the next game, which yeah. was crazy, and everybody crazy. remembers that shot way more. But, um, like this was kind of the first iconic shot we've seen in a long time. Is that right? Uh, yeah, you have Damian Lillard Damian closing Lillard, out the yes. series. Um, trying to think. Uh, buzzer beater-wise, definitely. Yes. There's been like some game winners and stuff. Um, you think it's probably the biggest shot since the Kawhi shot? Ooh, yeah, I would definitely say so. Especially because, like that, that ended up winning them the series. Yes. And then it 
ended up propelling their championship run. And I don't think we've necessarily seen a shot like that, unless I'm just drawing a blank. But I don't think I am. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, you brought definitely... up the you brought up the Dame shot, which probably could be put in there, but uh, that was the same year, right? Was it the same year as the it could have shot? been? I think it, it was. I don't been. know. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah it doesn't uh, really matter. Paul, it was against Paul George's Thunder. Thunder. So, so yeah, it would have been because I think it was year. Paul George's last game in OKC. Yeah, no, that's so, that's yeah, right. That's, same that's year. right. Um, Paul George and OKC didn't have really a great history. Hey, with third them. in MVP voting. Third Don't in forget. MVP voting. Don't forget. And then lost to Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> so, oh, wait, maybe it was second year. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was second year. year. I don't know. I don't know. But he did not have very much success in OKC. We could say that. No. But um, Tough one. Russell Westbrook's your teammate. But. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you'd like it now with the Clippers. But <laughs> All right. Let's get to some of these games. So, looking at game six, we talked about just the historic ending and Derek White, but let's be real. The Celtics probably should have just blown that game. Am I right? It was it was very reminiscent, just opposite sides of last year's Game 7 in yeah. the Eastern Conference Finals because the Celtics, in that game, they were up 10? Yeah, it was 10. 10, and then they had Jimmy Butler's three in the air with 15 seconds to take the lead, mm-hmm. uh, just missed short. And uh, it was very reminiscent of the same, except you thought the Heat were actually going to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then they also missed some opportunities, too. Duncan Robinson had two wide-open threes. But, yeah, I mean, you got to make free throws down the stretch. Uh, Jimmy Butler did it. He missed one uh, with about a minute left. But Marcus Smart missed one. Mm-hmm. Jalen Brown missed one. Um, but then, I mean, they got bailed out with a heck of a play by their fourth and fifth best players or third and fifth best players so yeah and we were talking about it just a little bit on how like how the Celtics kind of changed the series and what they were doing like schematically and I I mentioned to you starting Derek White you know and Derek White had, was just absolutely incredible in the in the series and you were telling me like yeah maybe it was but he picked up his play at the end and you were saying like at the beginning he was struggling on defense you know well, against Jimmy Butler and him stepping up was probably huge. What do you think? It was absolutely huge. He was their second best player. Yes. Um, best player last night in game seven. Uh, but he was their second best player the rest of the series. Jalen Brown was a no-show. Um, he had eight turnovers. Yeah. Eight turnovers in a single game. And he sh- shot the ball 23 times. And I didn't really like any of them when they left his hands. He was not getting good shots last night. But we'll get to him in a minute because I'm sure he's going to play a vital role in the, the future of the Boston Celtics. Yeah. But, yeah, he was incredible. I was wrong about the de- – but what happened was in the first three games, Jimmy Butler would just walk across half court and point to whoever Derek White was guarding so that he would get the switch on Derek White, mm-hmm. and he would toast him. Toast him. But then don't want to blame injuries here, but Jimmy did tweak his ankle a couple times. He didn't really have the same burst, but Derek White also guarded him a lot better. Um, he's one of the best shot contesting guards, like great help defender. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jimmy Butler, man – He's he's a dog. He's something else. He's something else. And, like, we talked about it also with the adjustments. The Celtics also really tried to get bigger defenders on him, which I thought really kind of slew, slowed him down, you know, going inside. And you mentioned it, too. Like, Derek White's defense really picked up from game three to, like, game five, game six. Era, well, and also know? not to mention Robert Williams started playing a lot better, too. Yes. And it's a lot easier to play defense as a guard. When you got one of the best shot blockers in the NBA behind you, um, you look at Drew Holiday, how he's one of the best def- – now, he's always been one of the best defenders. But when you got 
Giannis and Brooke Lopez behind you, you can take a lot more risks that you normally don't. Like Jimmy Butler, he averaged probably like three or four steals a game this series, but he's got Bam Adebayo behind him, mm-hmm. another amazing rim protector. Um, that's what we're hoping Jalen Dern can be in Detroit. Yeah, but I know. We're that's hoping. a different topic. <laughs> that's a different topic for another day. But, um, yeah, I mean, like Boston defensively, they I feel like they like played better defensively those three games, of course, and they'd like played Jimmy better. I would even say four games. Four games, yeah. But, I mean, looking at game six and game seven, they didn't play the three-point shooters the same way. Like, they were all up in their space game four, game five, really denied them, and they couldn't really do much. But then looking at game six, game seven, Miami shot the lights out. They shot like 45% from three. Yeah, they uh, were 16 of 31, I believe, last night, which yeah. is absurd, That's shooting ridiculous. 52% from three in game seven. But... It was it was tough. The Miami I thought did a great job adjusting, where they ended up just running Duncan Robinson and ball ball screen actions with Robert uh, Williams and Al Horford, and they just weren't up to the level. Marcus Smart kept going under. He kept messing up. Yep. Uh, he's a terrific defender, but he, I mean the Celtics just it, the Heat. What the thing with their offense is, if you make one little defensive error, they're going to make you pay for it, especially mm-hmm. when they're knocking down their shots. And we'll get into that against Denver. But you have to be perfect, and it's. They're not. They don't have only Jimmy's the only guy that can beat you really one on one. But if you overplay Duncan Robinson, boom, back cut layup. If you don't, if you go under on the screen, that's a three pointer. Uh, it's, they're tough to play against, and the Celtics they've been doing it now three of the last four years in a seven game series that went to game seven. Yeah. Um. And even they struggled with it, uh, staying locked in because it's hard playing seven game grueling series after getting to this point. And you're only playing six, seven guys at this point of the playoffs. It's tough to mentally stay locked in each possession to stop the Miami Heat because as soon as you make one mistake, boom, it's a it's going to be a good look. But they were able to do it at stretches. I thought they had a stretch in the third quarter, and then Caleb Martin hit a couple ridiculous shots. Yeah. <laughs> that guy was incredible. This incredible. Whole I mean, unbelievable. And I mean, to add on to your point, I was I was looking at the Celtics and. We talked about it a little bit off air, but the Celtics, they took too long with Atlanta. Six games, they probably could have closed that in five. Trey Young, again, was unbelievable. Four or five. Four or five, 100%. And we just clearly saw that the Celtics were better. They should have finished it quicker. And then you go to Philly, and they were better than Philly, 100%. I think they probably should have closed it in five or six. You know, Definitely, especially with uh, Joel Embiid missing game one. I mean, you... You can't let up in playoff games. It's very hard to do so, and it's not just for winning this series, but it's for winning the next series and just having legs and having legs. That's the name of the game. I mean, you saw what uh, Denver was able to do to the Lakers. I mean, they didn't mess around. They played Jokic 46 minutes Uh in game four. Uh, They played Jamal Murray just as much and whenever. And another thing with the Celtics, totally off topic, but another thing with the Celtics, when you look at their dynamic duo, Jason Tatum went down with an injury. He was still playing. He was going to hit out. Credit to him. But his number two guy, Jalen Brown, did not step up. Not when step up Jokic at all. was in game one and game two of that Western Conference series, Jokic was a little gassed in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was dealing with Anthony Davis and Rui all and LeBron game. James all game. All that's, game. That's tough. That's really and he tough. was doing a great job with it, but he was gassed in the fourth quarter. And Jamal Murray and Michael Porter just went crazy in those two games. And were, they were able to steal two. Well, not steal two, but yeah. they were able to win and close them out mm-hmm. in games where it almost looked like the Lakers should have won. Yeah, I mean, like, and that just shows you that even the best players in the NBA, like, they need help, you know? And that's 
that's to me what's so impressive about like seeing the LeBron runs and stuff because you didn't see that a lot from some of his players and like how he would just will them to the finals you know and even this Jimmy Butler run now like he can rely on a guy like Caleb Martin to hit his shots to hit those pull-ups or to or Gabe Vincent to hit these step back crazy shots that you're like wait why is he shooting that but it goes in you know the thing with the heat too is it's not it's not just Caleb Martin or Gabe Vincent sometimes you'll get a Kyle Lowry game sometimes Duncan Robinson will come in and have 30 points sometimes Max Struess will score 31 points in a play-in game yeah. that that when they were down 4 in the fourth quarter Against the Chicago Bulls, it feels like <laughs> years ago. I know. Different yeah. team. But uh, they have just these different guys that could get hot and stay hot and really win you a game. Um, and, I mean, I thought the Celtics too, did too. Uh, the Miami guys were just better this series, and that's what makes for some pretty awesome basketball. Yeah, I mean, the, the Celtics, they just seemed, right after Tatum twisted his ankle, they just seemed out of it. They were like, oh, gosh, like – there's no way we can win this game anymore. And you saw it from everyone. Like, some people were playing well. We looked at Derek White. He was playing well. I think Robert Williams played a solid game, but he was actually puking in the locker room during the game. So yeah. it's like, so it's like, how is he supposed to play more than 17 minutes if you're Joe Mazzulla? You know, yeah. like, I thought, I thought Rob Williams, not to interrupt you there, but Rob Williams, I thought was awesome on offense. He was getting so many offensive rebounds yes. in that first quarter yes. and that even the second quarter. But he, he just didn't have it quite on defense uh, the way he did last year and at moments of this series. He had a couple of big blocks. Um, you can expect that from Rob Williams. But whenever he would get switched out on Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Butler was getting a pretty good look. Um, and, again, like I was saying earlier, he was in drop coverage. He was playing way too deep. Yeah. And if Marcus Smart is not on uh, a shooter's hip, they're going to get an open look every time. And uh, so it makes it tough to play a big off. Uh, defensively against the heat but that's just one of the many things that the heat do so well yeah i know they're they're just really so impressive with that and we'll talk about how they'll probably use that against the nuggets you know um a little bit later but before we move into the finals i want to talk about the celtics and their future i would love to because i got some opinions on this (laughs) okay um first i want to center on jalen brown because we talked about it it was absolutely horrible that was one of the worst Game 7 performances I've seen from a star in a long time. It was really bad. He couldn't dribble at all. And people bad. are making fun of it so much, and it's hilarious. But um, This is the worst I've seen people, the internet uh, bag on somebody for uh, not being able to dribble or their lack of bag <laughs> since Pia- Pascal Siakam. Yes. And his like spin move that like as soon as you figure Spicy out his... P. <laughs> As soon as you figure out his spin move, he's just like a nothing on offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's bad. It's was, really bad. Right uh, now. I remember Pascal Siakam was getting compared to Harry Potter with his lack of bag. <laughs> How Harry Potter would always go to the, what's that spell called? The Expelliarmus. Oh, Expelliarmus yeah. spell. <laughs> That's the only spell in his bag. It was the only move Pascal Siakam had. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jalen Brown's absolutely getting cooked. And this guy, I'm going to give him credit. He's a good player. A very good player. One of the probably one of the best twos in our game. One hundred percent. It depends classifying two as two or three. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. And it like it just shows you how impressive of, of an athlete he is if dribbling is this much of a problem for him. But also Miami's that team where it's just not a good matchup if you can't dribble because they're gonna pressure the heck out of you and on the ball. Jimmy Butler is especially a bad matchup for him. Oh, Jimmy yeah. Butler got in his head big time because as soon as Jalen Brown would like put his second dribble down 
Butler would go all out on the steal. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it worked. Well, a lot of times it worked. And then it's a pick six and a dunk on the other end. Other times it didn't work. But he knew that, like, more chances are, like, the math would add up where if I go for it, if I get it once, he's going to be thinking about it the rest of the game. And then yeah. it even got into his head so bad that you started seeing him not even try to drive and pull mm-hmm. up for deep, deep threes when they really needed him to come to life. Yeah, and even what you were saying earlier, like, Jimmy Butler knows he has Bam on the backside, too. Mm-hmm. So Bam can just, like, swat him at the rim, you know. And his rim protection in that game, it was very good. I didn't think he had the best offensive performance. It was so bad. But, it was like, so bad. But defensively, this guy was all over Boston inside and we talked about it like Boston in the first half was grabbing every single offensive rebound they were all over it which was kind of keeping them in the game but those threes man just weren't falling well the funny part is is the only reason why they were able to grab or one of the main reasons why they were able to grab those offensive rebounds was because they were switching everything and when you switch everything you're going to make Bam switch on a shooter, so Jason Tatum, let's say. Yeah. Now, Tatum's not going to be able to take a ISO, especially with a bad ankle, but mm-hmm. if you then move it and kick it around, but now Bam has to stay up on Jason Tatum. Can't just leave him. He's a probably a 55% open-look three shooter. Yeah. So you can't leave him. Now, all of a sudden, you get a different shot, and now your best defensive rebounder is not on the, on the glass. Like, that makes a big difference. That's why you're able to get all those offensive rebounds. And then um, – but they were able to adjust in the second half, and they were able to put their foot down, not let Boston really have much life at all. Yeah, I mean, like that second half, Miami just went into a different mode. Like Jimmy Butler was hitting all of his mid-range shots. Caleb Barton was on fire, and Duncan Robinson moving all over the place with back cuts like we talked about. Boston really just couldn't do anything. And, um, I mean, I I mentioned it in Game 3. I talked about it on the podcast, like, it kind of looked like Boston just gave up in this game, too, because it just it wasn't looking good. They weren't there, and, you know, they just kind of fell apart. Yeah, no, definitely. I thought they made a good push at the end of the third, mm-hmm. and then Caleb Martin went on a selfo 5 nothing run to end the third quarter, and I thought that was a game. Yeah. I, I literally came down after that moment and played some FIFA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, didn't go so well, but I, that's when I knew it was over, especially after – yeah, it was – it was tough for Boston, but let's talk about a little bit what they're going to do next year. Yeah, no, we were going to get into that, and then we got all into the game, which is absolutely fine. So, Jalen Brown, okay? We were just talking about how he didn't play well there, but he's he has an extension coming up. I believe Five it's, years, 263, I believe. Yeah, that's what it was. So, um, if you're Boston, do you, do you do the extension? Do you trade him? What do you do? So, the problem with this, generally, yes, you do the extension. You pay the tax, fine. Now with this new CBA, there's this new, everybody's calling it the second apron, basically a hard cap because there's all these restrictions. You can't sign players for anything. You don't get a mini mid-level, so a taxpayer mid-level. You don't get to sign buyout guys. So it's really just hard to fill out the rest of your roster. Okay. Now Jalen Brown still has one more year on his contract. Pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. I think you just sign it to him. Give it to him. You pay the the tax because you're a championship contender. Yeah. I saw a stat today, um, I believe it was 1992, 1991, when they lost to the Pistons, the Chicago Bulls. Jordan was, was 26. That was 90. Yeah, 90. 90. Because uh, yeah, but Jordan, 89, 90. Yeah. Jordan, was, um, Jordan was 26. Okay. Pippen was 24. Yep. Mm-hmm. Jason Tatum is 25. 25. Jalen Brown's 26. Yeah. 
Like they've already been through these wars. This is when they start winning. When's mm-hmm. the last time? I can't remember the last time a best player on a championship team was younger than 26 years old. It's very last, true. Like the youngest guy is LeBron. Giannis. I mean, it was probably it's probably magic. You could argue yeah, that that one was year. fifty years ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, but, it was and a even, different but sport. But even that year, though, Kareem was the best player the whole year, and Kareem was older than that. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. It's um. So I think you keep this together. You pay the second apron. You take the penalties down the road if you because the whole point of the NBA people forget this is to win a championship. Yeah, to win a championship is the whole point. And if you lose Jalen Brown, you're not getting equal value for Jalen Brown. That's not how trades work in the NBA. If you do, then guess what? You're going to be paying the second apron. You mm-hmm. have the team around them. You you go for it. You go for it. If it doesn't, and then if you sign him and he does bad again next year, well, guess what? People are still going to want him because it's hard to find wings that are 26, 27, 28 years old that can score 25 points a game and are a lead on defense when they're really locked in. Yeah. Even if they can't dribble. And yeah. I mean, I was going to speak on the can't dribble part, but that's something that can be worked on. You know, and like you just said it, they're 25, 26 years old. It's hard to think that these guys aren't going to improve and get better. Joe Mazzulli, he's a young coach, 33 years old. He can now work and maybe get his own assistant coaching staff that he likes, you know. It's hard to think somebody he's not going to become a better coach, you know. Somebody he could actually listen to. People also forget the Miami players after 2011, LeBron and Wade and those guys, they asked for Eric Spolster to get fired. Yeah. They went to Pat Riley and asked for him to get fired. Guess what he said? He said, no, get out of my office. Yeah. You're playing for him. <laughs> and now he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. Uh, Joe Mazzullo was just thrown into the fire at the beginning of this year. I think you bring him back. You try to get um, a big-time assistant that's been there before, yeah. uh, been a head coach before, somebody he could listen to. Uh, he does have Brad Stevens, but somebody like in the game mm-hmm. where he could look to and get some reassurance from I think would really help. But I think you run it back. You're going to be the favorites in the East next year, probably. Um, them and the Bucks will be in the favorites, I would assume. Yeah, Assuming probably. James Harden leaves. Probably. But. And you'd throw Miami there, too, just because of this run. But, uh, I mean. But they have a big offseason. Exactly. But they got an NBA Finals to focus on Yeah, they, focus they on got right an now. NBA Finals to focus on. But, I mean, I agree with you 100% on the Missoula take. I was a little harsh on him going into the playoffs. I didn't like, like, how he coached, and I thought he was, like, just slow to things and there was a lot of stuff that I was hearing that like he wasn't even coaching the team and stuff and uh a lot of Bill Simmons stuff that I probably shouldn't have been listening to propaganda he, yeah propaganda but um to be honest he impressed me a lot through especially this series because I thought they were dead in the water and um he threw out some stuff that worked and same with Philly series he he fit, threw out some stuff that worked it maybe took him a long time but he's a young guy you know, he's going to figure it out. This is just getting giving him reps and getting him better. So I think Missoula, 100%, you bring him back. Jalen Brown, I think you should bring him back. Um, you know, for me, with Brown and Tatum, it's just hard for me to see them. Like, it's hard for me to imagine how they can get better because we've seen them in the playoffs for so long. And, you know, it's like I feel like I would have seen some improvement more improvement than I've, you know, than I was expecting. Well, Jason Jason Tatum took a leap this year. Mm-hmm. He made first team All NBA for the first time in his career, and I thought Jalen Brown got better, um, just outside of the ball handling. But his shooting yeah. got a lot better. Like he's get he's a better. They're all better players than they were. Sometimes it's hard to see when you're just like watching year to year. Uh-huh. 
Um, but they they they're better players. Jalen Brown made second team All NBA. He um, and the next the next phase, both of them need to be better ball handlers. Jason Tatum, including. But the next phase of their game needs to be. They need to have more. Um, what's the right word? Intention okay. on their offensive possessions. Yeah, because when they are really really good on offense, they are getting paint touches yeah and kicking it out for threes they're yeah. not just pulling up for threes unless you're really feeling it you made three or four in a row two or three no, marcus smart should not have this privilege of pulling up for three <laughs> yeah. but you need to get to the paint there's too many times where they would just swing it once or twice and then take a contested three with 18 seconds on the shot clock mm-hmm. um those shots are fine if like that's your last resort it shouldn't be your first one you should try to get to the paint now, unless you're wide open, like that's different. But Al Horford again should not be taking those shots. Yeah, Jalen Brown, Derek White when he's going, uh, and Jason Tatum are the only guys that should be able to take pull up threes within the first five seconds of the shot clock. I just think they need a little bit more structure, mm-hmm. and I think that really you only really get that once you are there multiple and multiple times, and you actually have the ability to do that because this is probably the first year, the first or second year they've had that ability. Um, a lot of people say that it needs to come from the point guard. Uh, it's not coming from Marcus Smart. Yeah, I mean, like, let's be real. Marcus Smart, he's not really like a true point guard, and neither is Malcolm Brogdon. Even yeah. though he's he's got his own, he's awesome in mm-hmm. his own way. But I love. Brogdon. Neither of them are true point guards. They're not gonna s- slow you down and get you like a good look. Yeah, that's just not their game. They're not Chris Paul. No, there's only one Chris Paul. Yeah, and it's Chris Paul. He's awesome. <laughs> Do you think maybe bringing in like a veteran like that? like a Chris Paul would help them maybe potentially it's tough because their main identity is to be able to switch one through four one through five when Rob Williams is out of the game everybody should be able to shoot those those type of players that are point guards that can do that they cost 40 million dollars because yeah. there's not there's there's no point guard in the NBA that can do that right now mm-hmm. um I mean it's hard to find point guards that can switch the really only great fit that I can think of is Lonzo Ball and well he's hurt all of next year already so I if that player existed yes definitely but every team in the NBA is looking for that right now uh again hopefully Kate Cunningham can turn (laughs) into that player but again different topic for a different day yeah um so to conclude on the Celtics where do you see them next year do you think they're back on top of the east like, do you think they can get it done, or is it too early to tell? It's too early to tell, uh, especially with – because every year somebody gets upset, especially, like, if you get a Damian Lillard trade. Um, that will change the shape, like, yes. the trajectory of the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the Bucks do in free agency is going to be a big difference. But I can't imagine somebody being able to build a team that, on paper, you're like, oh, yeah, this team's way better than the Boston Celtics. Mm-hmm than the Boston Celtics. So yeah. I think they're going to be right back in this position, whether it happens to be the second round because they run into a Milwaukee in the second round or whatever the case may be. But they're going to be one of the betting favorites to win that national uh, – I almost said national championship, but the <laughs> NBA championship next year because when you have two wings and you go seven deep, it's tough. Yeah, It's tough to outbuild that. And they've done a great job building this team. And just come back again next year, you swing again. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. I mean, I think personally, like, looking at the Celtics offseason and looking at the Bucks offseason, we don't know what's going to happen with Chris Middleton with the Bucks. We don't know what's going to happen with Brooke Lopez with the Bucks. So probably looking at 
the East, you're looking at Boston as the one seed possibly. You know? Yeah, and regular season, it's getting more and more like this where it's totally different than the NBA playoffs. But yeah. uh, So it's hard to predict like who's going to be the one seed because a lot of it's just about being healthy. Healthy, yes. But I would say betting favorites to go into the NBA playoffs, I would say Boston is probably most likely to be the betting favorite come round one of next year. Um, and maybe your Cleveland Cavaliers can join them too. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. But um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to flip over to looking at the NBA Finals. Hello, hello. This is Giovanni Mosheri. You might have heard me a couple times on Jake's Takes. I am the sports media director of Oakland University's campus radio station, WXOU, and I've been the host for about two years of a weekly sports show called The Jomo Show, where we cover all of Oakland University athletics, including a weekly update on scores and highlights, as well as interviews with athletes or those otherwise involved in athletics. You can listen to The Jomo Show live on WXOU Thursdays at 6, or you can tune in to me afterwards on Spotify. It's The Jomo Show. All right, welcome back into the show, and now we're going to flip over to looking at the NBA Finals. So we got Heat Nuggets, and we talked a lot about the Heat, looking at the Heat and the Celtics and the Celtics' future, but we're going to look at the Nuggets now. I talked about the Nuggets a little bit, episode 22, I talked about that Lakers series, how kind of, I mean, it didn't feel like a sweep, right? It was kind of... I called it a gentleman's sweep because every game was close. The Lakers played them strong, and um, I thought it was a very interesting series. But I wanted to get your take on the Nuggets. Just um, talk to me a little bit about what you think of the Murray-Jokic combo and anybody that we should be looking out for. Yeah, I think the Nuggets are awesome, first and foremost. I think they are extremely well-built, similar to the Celtics, as we were just talking. They got their two guys, and... There are five other guys that are strong and can play in any series, and sometimes you can get some Christian Brown, sometimes you can't. But they got seven guys. They go seven deep, strong, eight sometimes, depending mm-hmm. on how Christian Brown's playing. But And they got one of the best duos in the NBA, and really in the last, like, ten years or so, they they got to be ranking, If assuming they go on to win this finals, I mean, their chemistry that they have on offense is just unbelievable to watch. It's ridiculous. Their patent play where they set the back screen for Aaron Gordon from the top, so you got Jamal Murray setting a back screen. Yeah. You're looking for a little lob or dump a mini post up for Aaron Gordon, and then you got Jokic and Jamal Murray playing their dribble handoff game, and they got two snipers Mm -hmm. in the corners with in their starting lineup, KCP and Michael Porter. I mean, you cannot leave those two because they will knock the shot, that shot down. It, they're hard to guard. I've been trying to come up with a way all day for the Miami Heat to guard <laughs> them, and I'm really struggling. I had some ideas for the Celtics, but it's they're tough to guard, and they make tough shots, especially as we saw in that Lakers series, Jamal Murray in game two, game one, uh, Jokic in game four. Mm-hmm. They make tough shots even when you do slow down their offense a little bit they'll bail themselves out with a tough shot because they got tough shot makers and they're a well-oiled machine it feels like and Michael Malone has really proven himself to be one of the best defensive coaches he's prided prided himself on his uh defensive philosophy 
throughout his career, and it's been tough to show with Jokic for a couple of years. But Jokic has gotten better. Aaron Gordon's awesome. KCP's awesome. Uh, Michael Porter's gotten a lot better on yeah. defense. He used to be almost unplayable. He was a liability, big liability. And um, just to add on, like though the development of Michael Porter is just crazy. Like I don't think we would have saw this, seen this for him like looking at him as a prospect. I mean, a lot of people were like, wait, why are you picking him 13? He's got these back issues. Like, he's definitely not going to be able to play, you know? And uh, that's the thing. They were like, you know what? We don't care. Like, we're just going to take a swing at him. And, um, you know, if he works out, great. At the time, if he didn't work out, like, it didn't really matter for them. They were still going to be contenders, you know? And they were, like, getting to that stage. They had just lost that uh, last game of the season, I think, to the Timberwolves with Carl uh, Anthony Towns to lose the eight seed. But, um, like, if a talent like that is there, because we saw him in high school, he was the second-best prospect, you take a swing. And um, he's proven himself to be a great role player, a guy that's developed into being able to guard people, great shooter, you know. And, like, adding that with KCP, proven veteran, has an NBA Finals under his belt, excellent defender with the shooting, like – Nuggets are tough, man. And then you got Jokic and Murray that I didn't even discuss. And then not even to mention Bruce Brown, who closed a couple games in that Lakers series, one for Aaron Gordon Mm -hmm. and one for KCP. And then the thing is, like, I think, I believe it was game four, Bruce Brown closed over KCP. Yeah. And you didn't, you saw KCP, he was the leader still. Like, every time out, he was the first one on the floor giving everybody a high five. That's, it's a rare thing because NBA players they they all got an ego a yes. big one yes a big one and when you see your fifth starter or your six and bruce brown did the same thing when he wasn't closing he was handshaking everybody giving high fives um it's a rare thing in an nba locker room and i think it's a huge credit to the nuggets front office the nuggets coaching staff the culture that they've developed everybody talks about heat culture but the nuggets got a heck of a culture on their own too because when you're expecting to close and you don't close, generally you'll see people pout. Yeah. And that's not a thing with this team. They're all rooting for one another. Uh, they're talking all the time. All the time somebody has something to say to somebody. And it's it's all it all seems to be positive. Yeah. Um, I mean, talking about the culture, I wanted to give a shout-out. Mike Malone, former Oakland assistant basketball coach. Hey, congrats on your first ring. Jamal Cain? Yeah, Jamal Cain or Mike Malone. I mean, we'll take it, right? But um, funny stat about that, actually, is Kendrick Nunn, when he was a rookie, they made the finals. Um, I believe Kay Felder, when he was a rookie, they made, Cleveland made the finals yep. with LeBron. Yep. And then um, I think it's either Keith Benson or uh, – someone else made the finals too in their rookie year from Oakland but um so draft uh, Oakland players yeah, so draft <laughs> Oakland players and maybe you'll make the NBA finals uh hopefully Jalen Moore gets that draft <laughs> but um I mean looking at the Nuggets like I mean the culture is just unbelievable Mike Malone just really installed that defensive uh philosophy into them and even Jokic like Jokic has improved so much on the defensive end um uh we talked about it a little off air but that's the shape he's gotten himself into like it's so much better because you're seeing it in these playoffs like he'll grab a rebound and just start the fast break like immediately and you see the shooters just go to the corners and it's so hard to stop you know it's very tough to stop he's a point guard in a center's body but he it's amazing to see the difference between him and Embiid uh and it's one of the big differences between them 
uh, along with the health. But he runs the floor on offense and on defense. He'll run it on offense when he even doesn't have the ball. He's the first one down there because he's thinking, oh, I can get a quick duck in and get Mm -hmm. a quick layup on a little guy because their big's way behind us. And it's tough to guard because not every center you're when you're seven feet tall you're not meant to play the game of basketball i mean yeah. you're forced to you're forced to by <laughs> everybody very true but your body's not supposed to like you can't the wear and tear it takes on your body to play a 48 minute game of basketball and play hard for all 48 minutes or however long you're out there 44 it's truly impressive and he is a heck of a player and he is if you are an NBA casual fan or not even an NBA fan, you have to tune in for a game of to watch Nikola Jokic because he does not look like a basketball player. He does not look like a two-time MVP. He does not look like top three, debatably number one player in the world, number one right now for sure. Probably, yeah. But, man, he is something special, man. His touch, his it's he does so many things. We could rave about him forever. But yeah. He is – it's truly remarkable to watch him play basketball. It really is. And, uh, like, his play is just so infectious for everybody else because you're seeing, like, a guy like Aaron Gordon. He's making, like, great back cuts, and he's even making great passes just because of how infectious Jokic's energy and his ball movement is. And we've never seen, really, this type of selfless superstar, you know, where it's... I succeed as my teammates succeed, really, because he creates the plays for another guy, and then, oh, we can't double him anymore because he keeps making these plays. But no, then he'll just take you one on one, and you you can't stop him. You know, it's just just flat out incredible, and I feel like it just makes everybody's life so e- so much easier. And like we're seeing it with Jamal Murray because he's just been sensational, especially that. Western Conference Finals. Oh my gosh, it was incredible yeah. watching him. Thirty points a game on uh, 50, 40, 90 shooting splits yeah. is insane. <laughs> uh, but especially in the Western Conference Finals against the number one defense in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But I mentioned something I've been thinking about is I've all, my favorite type of player is the pure point guard, where you're not a score first point guard, you're a pass first point guard, but you also have to be able to score good enough so that your passing lanes are open. Like yeah. that's what Rondo is one a pass like a Chris point. Paul type. Yes. yes. He's one of my favorite players, but uh he it's almost the closest thing to it is Nikola Jokic. Yeah. He it's re- very true. but he's just 7 feet 300 pounds. But it so it's sort of that. He's like a ton of fun to watch, but it's also infectious of when you're a role player and you know, like, if I cut hard, I'm going to get the ball. It's really – it makes it a lot easier to cut hard. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier. And Jokic is truly a special talent. Uh, and it makes it a lot easier to run the floor, too. If I run hard, I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to get to shoot because that's the fun part of basketball is getting able to shoot. You're going to do it because I'm going to get to shoot and I score points, I get paid. I mean, it's probably – this is probably the most effective Bruce Brown has been on offense – probably in his NBA career. And it's because of the gravity that Jokic is giving him. And he's always been a great cutter. But just with this teammate, a guy that is always looking for the cutters, it just makes it so much easier. It does make it easier. I do don't want to shortchange Bruce Brown, though, 
because he has gotten a lot better as a shooter. He's yes. up to, I believe, 40% on low volume, like low volume. Mm. But he uh, he is a 40% three-point shooter now, which when he was in Detroit, when we traded him for a second-round pick for nothing, yeah, that was it ridiculous. was the worst, one of the horrible trade, but... There's a couple guys on the Nuggets yeah, from Detroit. I, I, yeah, Reggie Jackson, too. And and KCP. Yep, and KCP. Back I in mean, our prime. Back in our prime. This team would have been epic, but continue. <laughs> yeah, Andre Drummond just wasn't Jokic. No. If, we, if Andre Drummond was Jokic, we'd be in the NBA. We'd be having a little bit of a different discussion right now. But where were we? Oh, I, Bruce Brown. Yeah, Bruce yeah Brown. he is awesome. I love watching Bruce Brown play. I want the Pistons to go sign him this offseason, max him out. I yep. don't care. Uh, but he brings a lot of energy. He always plays hard. You know what you're getting from Bruce Brown. He's a smart player. Because he, he was able to – he's a six four guard that can't shoot. Those those guys don't work in the NBA. Yeah. But he was able to make it work because he's such a good – he's a good passer in his own right. He is a great cutter. He was willing to be a screener back in Brooklyn when they had the big three. Um, the best big three that never actually played. Yeah. But – I mean, they're they're sensational, man. I'm just uh, excited to watch them play against Eric Spolstra, who's a mad genius in and of himself. Yeah, no, it'll definitely be interesting to see how Miami plays them, and that's kind of what we'll get into. We'll talk. Let's start with how Miami can attack Denver on the offensive end. Let's just start with that. I mean, normally how people think of going against Denver would be attack Jokic off the screen and roll. Right? Do you think that's kind of how Miami will go, or do you think they'll just kind of stick to how they've been doing, trying to get those threes up? They're shooting a ridiculous percentage. But um, do you think they'll be attacking Jokic more, or do you think they're just kind of going to run their similar offense? So there's definitely always an element of attack the big guy. That's because mm-hmm. you just have the quickness advantage. It's a lot easier to score. Jokic won't switch on you, so you're going to create some space for yourself when you have the ball because the Nuggets guards, they like to get up into you. Um, I'm interested to see who Jimmy Butler decides to pick on. My guess is it will be Jamal Murray. Uh, the Nuggets should not allow that switch to happen. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Butler, for the first three games of the series, just cooked Derek White, who's an all-NBA defensive guard, uh, caliber of guard. I don't know if he actually made it or not. but And he did that just because he's got three inches on him. Now, yeah. uh, Jamal Murray's much worse defender. And he's also still got three inches less than Jimmy Butler does. So Jimmy mm-hmm. Butler should be able to toast him. That's if I'm Jimmy Butler has the ball, that's who I'm going after is whoever Jamal Murray's guarding. He said a ghost screen with one of your guards, uh, where you tap him on the side and run. Because yeah. then you sometimes they think you're gonna switch, sometimes they don't. It's really tough action to guard. But if I'm like a Gabe Vincent or I'm a Duncan Robinson or Max Struess or Caleb Martin or Kelly Lowry, I'm tacking Jokic. Yeah. Because just like the Celtics, I mean, Jokic is going to have to get up to the level of the screen, which basically you're putting two on the ball. You're going to hit Bam on the short roll, and then you're playing five on three. Mm -hmm. That's the ideal matchup. Now, you can't let – like, you got to make sure you're – Bam setting a good screen because you don't you want to force those guards to go over or if they go under great I'm just going to pull up for three yeah but you got you're forcing them to go over and then you're attacking and you're playing out of that because then you're creating a five on four for a brief instant but that's that's the instant that makes them that's the reason why they've been paid all this money is because that brief instant they can get a good shot yeah I mean like looking at Miami on the offensive end like play being able to play that five on four, five on three is kind of the reason they're 
playing so well is they were able to move the ball, drive and kick, and create those open looks to in order to do that. That's why when we were talking about the Boston-Miami, I thought it was so smart of Boston to just be playing those shooters so tight because if they can't get off those threes, it's more difficult because you're forcing them into tougher mid-rangers or you're forcing them into two bigs. Now, kind of looking at it from this stance in Miami versus Denver, looking at Jimmy Butler... I think it's going to be interesting to see how KCP will be holding up in this series. I'm really looking into that because Jimmy Butler, he did have success on smaller defenders, and I just want to see that matchup up close to see if Jimmy Butler could be able to dominate with him on there. What I, do you think? I think I think that they're going to play Aaron Gordon on him. Okay. Because okay. the bigger body worked. Yeah. The bigger body worked. you got to go to the bigger body. Especially to start now when Aaron Gordon inevitably falls for some of Jimmy Butler pump fakes. Yeah. Which will happen. Yeah, it's definitely going to happen. Uh, and he gets two quick fouls or three quick fouls, and you got to put KCP or Bruce Brown on him. Then I'm very curious. That's when I think Jimmy Butler is going to get off because I think Aaron Gordon will be able to do a pretty solid job because you can't post up. He won't be able to post up Aaron Gordon. Yeah. If he does, then, th- then you're going to yeah, have to start tough. considering yeah. sending doubles and whatnot. But. I, I think you start Aaron Gordon on him, and you let KCP chase one of those shooters because he's a little quicker, and he's mm-hmm. a great off-ball defender as well. Uh, and, I mean, really, if you're the Heat, you got to, like we were saying with Boston, where you just keep running these actions. It, all it takes is one split second where they make a little mistake. They go under a screen when you should go over. Yeah. Or you miscommunicate what should be a switch, and you think it's just a hedge. That though that's what Miami lives on. So you got to keep running that, and the Nuggets are going to have to be on point almost every single possession. Because just like the Nuggets, the Heat also have guys that can make tough shots, tough shots time and time again. Gabe Vincent, Kyle Lowry, yeah. Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson. You, you could go down the list, and even Bam sometimes will he'll miss a wide open layup, but then he'll make one that he has no it's business really making. Tough, yeah, and like looking at the Nuggets defense too, it's kind of weird because they. They like to switch a lot, but then when it's Jokic, they'll hard hedge and bring him back. So you're talking about like miscommunication. That could happen a lot, especially if you're like hiding a screener and then switch it to Bam real quick. You know, if they're they're not sure if it's Jokic or not, like this guy might switch and Jokic might get stuck on an island. You know, um, I feel like it's going to be really interesting to see. And I like how you said with Jimmy, it would be attack. Um, who did you say? Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray, yeah. And then everybody else, Jokic, because it drains your two best offensive superstars as well. And that's just a side benefit from attacking those two is they're going to get tired on offense. And that's yeah. and also, I mean, we can talk all the X's and O's and how, you know, you got to switch this. This should be the matchup. You got to attack here, blah, blah, blah. Really, at the end of the day, Miami has to keep shooting this absurd number from three yes. in order to have a chance to win. And you're going to have to hope for uh, my uh, Denver to miss a little bit, but I mean that's it's realistic. It's happened for three series. I didn't think they win. I, I thought know. they'd beat the Knicks, but I didn't think they had a shot against the Bucks. I thought they had a shot against uh, Boston, Boston, yeah. but I didn't think that they were going to win. Yeah, uh, it's so they got to keep shooting at a high level, which is something that kind of comes and goes it kind of feels like at least that's what all the data says but Mm -hmm. you know who really knows yeah i mean like it's definitely going to be interesting with the miami run like 
you were saying, like, it was just so weird because Milwaukee, we didn't think they had a chance. They got it done. New York, I like what you're saying. I kind of thought they'd win that series. Again, I was super high on Cleveland, so I was just so mad when Cleveland didn't win that series because I thought it would have been okay, but it probably wouldn't have been. Got to have more than two offensive players. Yes, very true, very true. And then um, looking at the conference finals, like I was just like with Boston, the Philly series just confused me because I was like, wait, they should have handled this way quicker. Same as the Atlanta series. They should have handled it way quicker. The East was just weird to me, and um, that leads into my next question, which is with the Miami zone. Okay. Yes. I wanted to talk about this a little bit. And uh, it's just a theory I had. But looking at the teams in the East and the teams in the West, I feel like if you put Miami in the West, they can't do this. Like, at all. They can't make the finals. And that's because in the West, you have higher IQ players that would destroy a zone. Like a LeBron James and Nikola Jokic. People of, people of that nature that can kill a zone. And then if you look at the East... You got stars, while they're really good, they're not known for their passing. They're not known for their IQ, you know. I feel like the Celtics would have been great if they had Tatum in the middle or Jalen Brown in the middle a lot more than they did. Well, they went to Tatum in the middle, and then he just shot it off the backboard, and it was Yeah, but that was also with the ankle injury, too. So, like, I mean, I I don't know. Because the only person I saw that had any success with the zone was Jalen Brunson. That's it. That's the only person I saw that had success. Giannis, really not known for uh, his passing too much. Drew Holiday kind of struggled with it a little bit. And that's more the heat, you know, showing the pressure. pressure. But how do you think the Nuggets are going to attack it? And do you agree with my statement there? I do, I, but I also don't. Okay. I think it would work against... Because the Heat, they ran more zone than any team in NBA history did yes. this year during the yeah. regular season. So this 19% was, of the time, which is an absurd number. This is clearly something that they worked on their practice at it. So yeah. they're also better than it at the zone than just your average team. Mm-hmm. And they also run, like, different variations of the zone where they have, like, different guys, different places, different coverages, and you have Bam protecting the middle. Yeah. that's t- Like, it's tough to beat. You Really, at the end of the day, you really just got to make shots. You can have like a couple actions you run against it, but you what they were what that was able to do is it was able to just like it just pauses you for a couple seconds, and especially when they would press off of it and then go back to zone, you're not starting your offense till like 15 seconds or left on the shot clock. If you pause for like two seconds, that's just playing into the Heat's hands. Uh-huh. And I think it will happen against. I think the Nuggets. You know they'll if the, it really just comes down to if they hit their shots or not. Yeah, and Jokic will definitely get better looks than the Celtics did, in my opinion. But the Celtics, I also thought, got good looks most of the time. They just didn't fall. Mm-hmm. They uh, did a pretty bad job of getting into the paint. I think the Nuggets will do better with that. But um, I think Miami needs it to work. Yeah, because they need to be able to play a Duncan Robinson. They need to play some of their smaller defenders uh, who might not be able to stay on the court otherwise in man because the Nuggets would just expose them for being bad defenders. Yeah. But they need them on offense in order to survive this series. I think Duncan Robinson's going to have to be able to play unless Max Struess, like just starts going off, which is totally possible. It it's could. Miami. It could. But I think, I think at times it will work, at times it won't. But I think Spolstra's got a good enough read. Like, if it's not working in this particular series, he's not just going to keep sticking with it and be like, this is who we are. Yeah. Because he runs plenty. He runs, man, 80, 
81% of the time. It's still majority. And I think Spolstra's, like, I trust Spolstra enough to be like, because you look at Syracuse, for example, right? Yeah. Different college basketball, different sport than the NBA. But no matter what, Jim Beheim's not getting out of his no, zone off never, zone defense. Never. And it, this is not one of those situations. He's not dying. He's not living and dying with it. If it's a wrinkle, if it works, great. Yeah. If it doesn't, all right, we'll just go to our man, which I still feel pretty confident in. We'll just play Max Struess or more Cody Martin or Haywood Highsmith maybe or who knows, maybe even Jamal Kane can get in. But I don't, I don't know if he's eligible, which kind of <laughs> sucks. But um, <laughs> he's on that two-way contract, and I don't think those guys can play in the playoffs. I wish. I <laughs> wish. But um, I, I could see some Highsmith in the series. I could see him a lot uh, just to give another body um, – I feel like Kevin Love and uh, Cody Zeller are going to be bigger in this series because they're going to need those bodies. And chances, know? yeah, and chances are if we transition to Miami against in man defense against the yeah. Nuggets half court offense, a look that they can give that the Lakers like it didn't work, but it worked better than anything else was putting LeBron on Jokic. Yep and Anthony Davis behind him. Now, you could do something. One of the benefits of it is that you have the rim protector behind and bam, yeah, at the rim. So, like, you're still cutting off the rim. You're making it hard to live at the rim. Uh, you're not guarding Aaron Gordon because now if he starts making threes, then you got to readjust. But uh-huh. the difference, or maybe what you do is you probably put bam still on Jokic because then you're able to switch, and then you put Butler at for stretches, yeah. like at the – core stretches this is just an idea that i had literally just right now <laughs> but you put butler on um murray mm-hmm. this is end of game big stretch whatever the case may be but put butler on murray bam on Jokic, because then you're able to switch that yeah and now kevin love's gonna have to be able to play um for this strategy to still work because if you put butler on Jokic, you still need somebody behind butler to protect yeah. the rim there I think Bam will be able to hold up all right. He'll get shot over a couple times. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, but it's just – but Jimmy Butler cannot do that because you need him to be an engine on offense. Mm-hmm. And you need him on offense more yes. than you do on defense. Yes. And for majority of the game, you try to send Gabe Vincent chasing around. That takes a lot of miles. You also could do some Caleb Martin. Maybe Caleb Martin might be able to switch on Jokic for some possessions, I not think, every possession. I think he'll be able to hold sometimes. And, uh, I mean, you might even try, like, a Highsmith on him at, at times, you know? Like, there'll be times where I can see everybody going after him. I can see Struess on him at times. But, like, it's going to be difficult if you don't have, like, a Kevin Love or a Cody Zeller step up. They're yeah. definitely going to need to I, I'm a little down on Highsmith this series just because I believe that I mean the Nuggets you the Lakers couldn't play Jared Vanderbilt last series because of his lack of shooting and because they played two non-shooters at the time yeah and Miami's always going to be playing Bam for 44 of the 48 minutes so I just think that they're not going to be able to get away with playing two non and Jared Vanderbilt's a lot better than Haywood Highsmith yes. so if he can't play this series and he can't last, I don't think Highwood Smith would either. But that's why I'm a little bit more of a proponent of Kevin Love because you do still have to respect him from three. Uh-huh. You have to box him out on offense and defense. He's a great defensive rebounder. Yeah. And that's going to be huge going against Nikola Jokic. That's like a big part of his game is offensive rebounds because mm-hmm. he has the best hands in the world. He'll tip it to himself and then yeah. he'll just 
fling it up and throw like four shots up. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. I think this is actually a big Kevin Love series after it not being a Kevin Love series in the last one. And I do like the look of just throwing another body at at Nikola Jokic. And if you don't, if you're not switching those actions, then maybe you throw Kevin Love on Jokic for a couple possessions here and there, and have Bam protect the basket, give him some rest. Yeah. they're going to have to do a great job of not guarding Aaron Gordon and forcing them to close with the Bruce Brown and go smaller and then force, like, and they have to dominate the glass. Mm-hmm. They have to dominate the glass. It's so hard to get a stop on the Denver Nuggets. You have to close out the possession by getting a defensive rebound. Otherwise, it might be a quick series. Yeah, no, adding on to that, and this kind of leads into basically Miami's keys to win, but – um Really, that they got to control the offensive glass too. I think mm-hmm. because Jokic is probably the best player I've ever seen at taking a defensive rebound and just making the fast break happen like immediately. He was so good at that in the Phoenix series. He he was excellent at because Aiden would have to step up and guard him. So then there's no big inside and they just hit Aaron Gordon and it's a layup against Miami. That's huge because if Bam's the one stepping up, you got nobody in there to guard like an Aaron Gordon type, you know. So I think limiting his transition will be absolutely huge. So if they could control the offensive glass, um, that kind of helps in creating those shots. I mean, if they're shooting the three-point shot at the 40% clip that they have been, like it's just difficult for any team to win when somebody else is shooting that way. But And that's all about creating those tips too. But also, if they're just controlling the glass in general, like it just makes it difficult for Jokic to get out in transition and make plays happen, you know? Definitely. And I think uh, one element, I think Miami will do a better job, maybe not of controlling the glass, but the transition defense, because they just play so much harder than yes. the Lakers do, like than Anthony Davis particularly. Uh-huh. They just play so much harder, and I feel like they'll do a pretty good job of getting back on defense. Otherwise, because they got enough bodies. Because Jimmy Butler is going to play hard. Bam Adebayo is going to play hard. Yeah. And that's a blessing when your two best players are your two hardest workers or two of your hardest workers. Because everybody else, they know if they don't get back consistently. Now, maybe Caleb Martin, after almost winning Eastern Conference MVP, (laughs) can get away with a little bit. But they just won't play. Yeah. Because they got seven, eight guys that they can play and trust. And going off of that, I totally forgot where I was going with that. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. That's all right. I mean, that can shift us over right to the predictions. Okay. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think the Nuggets are just going to control this series? Do you think Miami has a chance? I mean, we've talked a lot in the Miami focus because Denver is the clear favorites. But um, I want to hear your opinion. What do you think is going to happen? So going into this. I thought I would say Nuggets in five. Okay. Now, talking about talking out loud some of the ideas that we had of Miami covering the Nuggets and vice versa um, and how to attack them offensively and defensively, I think they actually have kind of a chance to make this go six or seven. I kind of do, too. <laughs> like, I swear, I came into this, I was like, Nuggets in four or five. Like, it's no question. Like, I have no idea how the uh, Heat are going to guard them particularly, uh, and they've just been shooting too well. It has to come down to earth at some point. Yes. But 
They were last last regular season, so not this past one. Last regular season, they were the best three point shooting team in the league. Yes. that's a big reason why they're number one this uh-huh. year. For whatever reason, during the regular season, they were horrible. They were twenty seven. <laughs> that's not great. That's a big drop off. And this uh, then all of a sudden, come playoffs, they turn back into the best three point shooting team, even better than they were last regular season. Yes. I think they have a chance to. I think they have a chance to get it to six or seven. If they get it to seven, you never know. Mm-hmm. But I think my official prediction would be Nuggets and six, closing them out in Miami. If it gets to seven, though, you can like it's a it's a coin flip because if Jimmy Butler has one of those games, yeah, it's going to be a heck of a, a heck of a game. I know, but I'm I also just want to see more basketball, so that also <laughs> might be part of the reason of me predicting in six. But I think. The Nuggets are just so awesome, man. I have a hard time not seeing them control the series for the most part. I just kind of hope we get three or four pretty awesome games in it because I also feel like the Nuggets are going to be able to blow them out once or twice. Yeah, um, I'm in 100% agreement. I was Nuggets in six before the pod, and we talked about it, and it kind of gave me some hope that it really could be Nuggets in six, you know. Um I've just had a respect for Jimmy Butler ever since he won that first series because I did not think that was even possible. You know, it was flat-out unbelievable, and these role players have just stepped up like crazy, like Caleb Martin, and we didn't even talk about it, but Tyler Hero could come back in this series. Like, we don't know. I think that might actually be a bad thing for him. I know. I I think it's a bad thing. I don't think Tyler Hero's very good. Uh, Taking a little misdirection (laughs) here, but... If I'm the Heat, I trade Tyler Hero immediately this offseason. <laughs> you you got problems facing the tax. You trade Tyler Hero for like a lottery pick, and then all of a sudden your tax problems go away. You can sign Gabe Vincent. You can sign Caleb Martin. You can sign everybody else. Just get rid of him. He's the problem. As soon as he went out, they went on this run. That's all I'm going to say on Tyler Hero because he cannot play defense. That's if he play, If he steps up in this series and plays, oh, my gosh, the Nuggets are going to have a field day on offense. He's Michael Porter three years ago. I mean, I don't think Spolster is stupid enough to start him right away, though. He better you know? not. Uh, he better not. But there's no way he if he keeps available, he's not playing. You know, he'll yeah, play. They're paying minutes. him too much money. They're paying but him too much money. There, if he costs him game three and it's a one-one series, and because it said game three, right? Yeah. If he costs him game three, and he's really bad, Spolster should just not play him. Yes, it would take it would take some balls by Spolstra, but. Oh, gosh, I just see it going really poorly. Yeah. When, and and we've Tyler seen Spolstra all, all playoffs. Like He's willing to take that stuff. He's willing to do that. So um, I'm not too worried. Though. Doing it for your $30 million player compared to a buyout player and Kevin Love's a little bit different. True. But True. especially because I also just want him to dress because I'm tired of looking at his outfits. <laughs> so hopefully he just starts wearing the warm-up. But I'm excited for this series. I hope. I hope Tyler Hero suffers a minor setback so we actually see some awesome series. But I'm very, very excited uh, for this series. This is what we've been waiting for. Forever. I know. Not we, quite what we expected. Yeah. But no. this is what we've been waiting for. Like, I'm so excited. Um, there's just so many ways you can look at this series, and it's going to be so much fun, dude. I am so hyped. But I want to thank you for joining the podcast. First time. First time. Finally got you on the pod. This is episode 23. So, kind of going crazy. But um like to thank AJ Masucci, my brother, for joining the podcast. And I'm going to be back at you guys soon. Peace.